Hello, and welcome back to the Court Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McInnes, and today I'm joined by Jared Dillinger, a guy who enjoyed one of the more unusual college basketball arcs at the University of Hawaii in the 21st century. It's not every year, or really any year, that a guy on the scout team, you know, one of the guys who helps the regulars prepare for an upcoming game by simulating the opponent during practice, rises all the way to the starting five. But that's exactly what Dillinger did heading into his senior year of 2007-08. He parlayed the opportunity into a pro career that's into its 13th year, all in the basketball-crazed Philippines. Dillinger, a six-time Philippine Basketball Association champion and a former Philippine national team player, is 36 and into the role-player phase of his career with Barangay in Abro San Miguel, or the Lakers of the Philippine Basketball Association. The PBA is about to embark on a COVID bubble in Manila, a la the NBA in Orlando. How does Dillinger feel about that? What stands out from his time in Manila? Let's find out. Here we go. All right, today I'm joined by Jared Dillinger, University of Hawaii basketball alumnus who spent a good dozen plus years now, I want to say, playing pro ball in the Philippines where he resides with his family. So, Jared Dillinger, welcome to the Court Sense Podcast, man. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for having an OG on here. Appreciate you. Yeah, you you are one of the, got to be one of the older UH Rainbow Warrior alums still actively playing pro, right? Right, isn't that crazy, man? After all the UH grades, man, I'm I'm just lucky I'm half Filipino. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> hey, what well, you found a place that has worked for you that was right for you. I mean, you have endured right. there a dozen years in one country playing pro. That is pretty rare, man. A lot of guys who play overseas bounce around, play from country yeah. to country, year to year. Why has the Philippines been such a good home for you, man? Um, you know, a lot of it uh, is good timing good people that I, that, that I get surrounded myself with when I first got here. I was lucky to get under the wing of some of these vets that really changed my, my approach to the game and, you know, how to be a professional, um, how to do your job, clock in, clock out. So uh, it was really, you know, timing people that I surrounded myself with that really helped me have this career that, that I'm, that I'm having over here in the Philippines. So I'm very grateful for those, those people. Well, Jared, what's, I, I, this is like the first question I ask everybody who comes on, especially guys who are, you know, in far flung places like yourself, you know, what's, what's the reality like for you right now in this COVID era? And my understanding is the, the Philippine basketball association, your league is looking to get underway in the coming days. So um, what's the reality like there, man? Um, so, yeah, apparently out here in Asia, Philippines is not doing too well with the COVID virus. We've been up and down on lockdowns. Um, but being said, the league has been monitoring the NBA a lot, and just kind of overseeing how they're doing with their bubble. Since that, the NBA seems to be doing okay, um, the PBA out here, they're going to emulate the, the NBA bubble in its own sense. So uh currently right now the whole league we just got tested and 
everyone came out negative, which is a good sign. Uh, from there, we're going to start training on a basketball court, like team organized type practices, but it's still going to be pretty minimal. They're going to still do some evaluations after we do a couple practice sessions with our, with our teams. Um, from there, moving forward, if everything checks out, we're going to go in some sort of PBA bubble and we'll see how that's going to be. Is that, is that there in Manila? the capital right yep it's here everything will be based out here in manila and um they have a couple places um that they recommended to the government that that they as in the pba uh organization uh, mm -hmm. that they recommended to the government that it's possible that we can have this bubble here at this place at this venue so far everything checks out to be okay but um again there's so much uncertainty so no everyone has their fingers crossed but there's you don't really have any expectations on this gotcha gotcha well how do you personally yeah do, what kind of faith do you have that this could get off the ground and right and endure i mean even in the nba bubble there's you know everyone knock on wood always says like hey it's you know everything's still in the all clear but all it takes is like one oh, you know prominent yeah. incident mean, to send the whole thing spiraling Man, to be honest, you know, you hear reports about the NBA spent like $250 million to get this bubble going. It's, it's, I mean, I know I'm not correct. It's somewhere around $250 million, right? Mm -hmm. um, so in our league, we don't, I don't think we're going to spend that much <laughs> to, to operate a bubble. So our next question is like, how legit is this bubble going to be? Like how much money are or the team's going to put up to make this as safe as it can be. So there are some questions and, you know, I, yeah, we try to be our best to emulate the NBA, but nothing's like the NBA, you know, <laughs> around this world. So uh, it's 50, 50, to be honest, like we're, we're hopeful. We want to practice. We want to play. Um, all of us, we're all still getting paid under salary with our teams, mm -hmm. but you know, uh, so we are very fortunate in that case, but um, it really is like 50 50. It's up in the air, man. So, well, I, it's, it's questionable. I hope, I hope that works out, man. Like, I, you're a competitor, like, you, you are a figure there in the, the Philippine basketball community. I, like, people know you. Like, I know this from, I did a whole story <laughs> on you back in 2014 about how you got this, like, celebrity status, this cult status. Right there in, in this basketball crazed country i don't i don't think people fully appreciate even over here in hawaii where there's a large filipino community just how interwoven the pba that is there in, in everyday life right it's, it's crazy it's worldwide man i mean j just because filipinos were everywhere um dude i'll be in california i'll be in europe or around asia and then i'll just be walking around and there'll be filipinos like oh hey jerry what are you what are you doing out here in hong kong hey what's what's up what's up buddy it's wild man and i'm not even like the popular popular type of guy like i got some of my friends who are living walking legends and they just they'll get bum rushed in a california mall of filipinos running up on them asking for pictures it's, it's crazy <laughs> um <laughs> I, you are fortunate enough to have your family there with you, right? Uh, you you guys have lived there more or less full time. The way you were explaining it to me, as far as the Philippine Basketball Association Association season 
almost runs year round during the best of times. Yeah. So yeah. you are so basically like a full time resident of the Philippines. It is. Yeah. My home is here. I have a house. I've been living in here for over 12 years. Um, so it is my home. You know, my second home is back in the States. So this feels more like home than anything at this point anymore. Yeah. Well, Jared, I, I know it's been a while since your UH days. I want to give the folks a quick primer on, you know, what your background yeah. was. I mean, you were a guy who grew up in Colorado. You went to the Air Force Academy for a couple of years, transferred to the University of Hawaii, first as a walk-on, worked yeah. your way up. Um, you were there for the transition from Riley Wallace, his final year, you know, years of his 20-plus, yeah. uh, two-decade stint in tenure of UH Manoa basketball to Bob Nash became a starter in your final year, your senior year, and uh, averaged roughly 10 points a game, which was a remarkable journey from a guy who basically was a scout teamer the, the previous two years. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, so. Um, it's crazy. <laughs> final season was in 2007-08, and uh, you've been a pro ever since. So um, how far removed does, does that time at UH seem to you right now? Uh, I mean, I've told my story a couple times, and uh, – it's crazy to, to reflect back how far it came. I still remember leaving the Air Force Academy with the mindset of like, hey man, I can go anywhere I want with this with this this Air Force pedigree or whatever you want to call behind my back. I should go somewhere like a like an Ivy League school. And then, you were accepted I, to Dartmouth, or I read that. I was gonna go to Dartmouth. I was pretty set on going to Dartmouth, and then just this whole. 20 year old vibes wanting to go to Hawaii and seeing what those, what that life is all about kind of intrigued me. And I just, I went with my gut wanting to just experience what the Island life is like without knowing too much about it. I just kind of just jumped in two feet first, hit up the coaching staff, like, Hey, would you guys, would you guys want a player like me? And at the time at air force was coach Buzzadelic. So he, he made some calls and talked to the coaching staff at UH for me and, uh, kind of gave me the window to, to come in, but um, it's crazy, man. Like I had to work myself from the ground up and I was taking a bus from Mililani really? to go to school every day, had no car, no friends. How'd you end up Basketball. in Mililani, by the way, to, to interrupt you real Dude. quick? Oh man, just a random uh, friend of my auntie's that flies for the Hawaiian Airlines turns up He's my godfather. Never met him <laughs> until I just showed up in Hawaii, transferring from the Air Force Academy. Wow. So he kind of takes me in, um, lets me know, hey, man, you can stay here at my house. But, hey, I work for the airlines. I'm never here. Um, so make yourself at home. Do what you got to do. And I just kind of lived at my godfather's house for however many months until I can get my, my, my shit together. and trying to make this UH team. Um, Commuting uh, via the bus, like you were saying? Dude, I'm taking the bus to the campus. Um, I'm taking a bus after school to go to Ala Moana Mall because uh, I had to work still to get some money. I'm one of those shirtless dudes at Abercrombie or Hollister. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm man. working, dude, I'm working there. And then I take a bus home, do my homework on the bus, then run to 24-hour fitness to get my, my training in and then start my day all over again. And it's it was a ride, but 
granted, I was so grateful for everything because I just came from this crazy military school and now I'm in Hawaii. So nothing couldn't really ruin my day when I was in Hawaii that first year. Yeah, I'm just trying to envision the contrast between that first year at Air Force as a freshman. And I believe you spent a year in the Air Force prep school between yeah. high school and your college career. Right. So essentially, it was like three years in the military. Right. And my understanding was you had three head coaches during your time at Air Force and then plus yep. two more at home. So you had like five head coaches during your college yeah. career, which is insane. Insane. Uh, how, how did you deal with that? Just probably what a con like a coaching change every single year of your college career just uh you don't think too much of it as a as a kid you just want to hoop so um i was just a, a people pleaser so when the new coach came in i'm just figuring out okay i gotta figure out this guy's philosophy what does he like what's he want i just want to play i'm just gonna try to be the best that i can with this coach and see if i could fit in somewhere but i really didn't think about it until you just said how many different coaching changes happened in my career. Um, it, it was a whirlwind, to be honest. It was a big blur. But uh, at least at the Air Force, they ran the Princeton offense the whole time. They didn't mm -hmm. change up the offenses. And then, so that wasn't like a big, too much of a hassle changing, you know, when the coaches would, would change over there. Um, at UH, same thing, Coach Wallace to Coach Bob Matt. And, Coach Nash they had yeah. the same offense. They just stuck to the, uh, what was it called? Flex motion. Flex motion. Yep. And so again, so yep, I had all these different coaches, but the philosophies kind of stayed the same. You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. No, I, I could see how that would make things easier. I, I asked in part because a few of the years I was covering the basketball beat, much was made of that time between Gib Arnold Yes. Uh, you know, there's the NCAA situation, yep. investigation, he gets fired, I, Benji Taylor takes over, and then yep. Ron Gannat takes over. So yep. that's three coaches in three years. I, so I was only yeah. just trying to imagine what, like, basically five and five would be like. Right. I guess mine got, like I said, I got lucky because the philosophy kind of stayed the same. And, um, yeah, yeah, I can't – I forgot about the Gib Arnold era and all, all the crap that went down with that. <laughs> there, was, there was a lot of crap. <laughs> but – I, well, you at least were well underway in your pro career by that time, Jared. But I'm curious, you know, Air Force Academy, you got the crew cut, clean shaven yep. guy. Yeah. The the transformation that you underwent just either ment mentally and physically once you go out to Hawaii, <laughs> you mentioned oh, your, your side job at Hollister or whatever. <laughs> but uh, how, how did you just grapple with that going from that, you know, rigid environment to yeah. this laid back setting? I think, I think what attracted me to Hawaii, man, that was a great question, was uh, when I'm in military school, my outlet was watching surf documentaries and just being all about this island life. That's all I used to watch. You know, like at these military schools, we can't leave the campus. Man, it's just, like you said, military vibes. They tell you where, what to do, when to do it. You're dressed up. You can't really express yourself you got to dress in these military uniforms. So I finally get a chance to be in Hawaii and I'm just like, man, I want to fully embrace this. I'm going to grow my hair. I want to, I'm going to surf. I want to be at the beach, outdoorsy type. I want to live it all. And I just, I took, I took it and embraced it fully. 
<laughs> I love everything about Hawaii. Uh, I saw some of your old plan plan days photos at Hawaii, and yeah, by then, by the time they took those pictures of it, you had like the the flowing hair going. Yeah. Um, you didn't have the yeah. beard yet, which I didn't. I, I was still too young to grow yeah. that out. I, yeah, I wish, and it's. So. I'm gonna tell people now. It's 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 thorough. Like it's it's, uh, it's, it's impressive now. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I believe I wrote a story about about you back in 2014 when yep. you were um, a member of the Philippine national team at the time, Gilas Filipinas, yes. and yep. you were taking a break over here in Hawaii to shoot a documentary coming off a, a pretty bad injury you had. And it was a kind yep. of about your, your journey back to playing status and being mentally right. ready to play. And at that time you were then just growing out the beard and it was kind of like a, like a, a status uh, rejuvenation for you was the way yeah. you kind of described it at the time. And have you been rocking that ever since? I have. I mean, I mean, to be honest, not the whole time I haven't been. Uh-huh. Like there was a time when I was like telling the media out here, I'm not going to cut my beard till I win another championship. It was taking forever. <laughs> Couldn't win another one. It took like, man, after like maybe three years in of that promise I made, it still we still couldn't win one, so I, I eventually did cut it, <laughs> and I just said, "Man, I, it's been forever, man. I gotta, I gotta cut this bad boy one of these days." Um, so it, it didn't last as long as I wanted it to, but n- during this COVID, now I kind of grew it back out. It's, it's, <laughs> like like many of us, myself included. There's, no, there's nothing else to do, so it gives me a good excuse to to bring it back out. I have to imagine you are it kind of sets it must set you apart in the in the pba right like it there can't be a whole yeah. lot of guys with that no i mean they, they make a thing of it i don't i'm not the guy that i used to be i'm just i'm like the poor man's version of andre Iguodala. you know what i'm saying i'm gonna stay ready i mm-hmm. make good decisions i can hit big shots but i'm i'm coming off the bench obviously Mm-hmm. Uh, different like phase of your this, career yeah yeah so yeah. i don't like to draw all this attention and huff and puff my chest and look at my beard everyone and they, they used to make something out of it now i just kind of <laughs> uh, just let me be me man let me just do my job and be professional I, I don't want any extra attention on me like that yeah um i i was looking through some of your old career stats and it was pretty remarkable at least maybe during the if you want to say at the prime of your of your pro career uh-huh. there how similar like your season averages were to that breakout senior year you had at UH. You were like a 10 point a game guy, consummate teammate, few assists per game, you know, three point percentage was in the mid to high thirties. So it it was struck me as remarkable. Like that's what you supplied here and you took it with you. That's what, um, I mean, essentially that's how I think that's how it kind of is if you're a star player growing up from the very beginning you're most likely going to be a star player like act like a star player as you get older right um i was never that star player i was always just a glorified role player so to speak mm-hmm. and i just i knew how to do that really well and um it just it always resonated and yeah it's funny it always stayed the same i always had the same job when I came on to the pros, um, it changed a little bit, but even when I was a, a star player, I was just really technically a glorified role player doing, mm. uh, doing well on a, on a good team. Like, a, you know, like how Draymond Green gets so much love when they were winning, mm-hmm. you know, 
but stats wise, it really it's not like he was killing the box score. He was just doing all the right decision making, the right pass, good box outs. Um, this really smart player. It's kind of what I did my whole career. So um, that that said, it you did latch on with the national team for a number of years there, right? I mean, that's yeah. is that something you can kind of look back on and say that was you know that was a yeah. pretty cool experience. Oh, yeah, of course. If there's anyone that has a chance to play on the national team, it's the coolest feeling in the world, man. Um, travel the world, you get to play against other countries. Um, you get to hang out with all these other guys from different countries because essentially they just put us all in the same hotel. So, of course, you'll be, you'll be at lunch and uh, sitting at the cafeteria and you start talking with J.J. Barrera just to chop it up. Like, hey, how you doing? Oh, yeah, we're good. Hey, good luck. Okay. And Oh, there's Nicholas Batum. Hey, what's up, dude? And With I was, France. I was just—it's crazy, right? So you're, you're kind of connect with these guys and get to hear their stories, and it's, it's, it's cool. It's a great experience. Yeah, I mean, uh, when was the last time you got to do something with the national team? Has it, has it been a while, or is it kind of recently? always been a while? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I would go to a practice and speak to the younger kids on the national team. You know, things like that um, in, term, in terms of just helping the program out. Because you're 36 then. now, Jerry? I'm 36, yeah. 36. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I would do stuff like that, show the support for the national team. But being a part of it, it's been since 2014, 13. Okay. When okay. I, that was the last time I was officially on this squad. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yep. Uh, I want to take you back to UH real quick. and. Yeah. Like we mentioned, you were there for that transition from Riley Wallace to Bob Nash, which was a momentous thing because, you know, Riley yeah. was the institution. He was he was, he was the all then. UH basketball everything. And Man, that dude used to kill me, dog. He, <laughs> he, he had something for me. I don't know what it was. Did he really? <laughs> he used to kill me in practice. Oh what what do you think it was? I mean, I, I read that you were like the, the – the energy guy out there trying to supply energy. What, why do you, what was that about? I don't know, man. I don't know. Maybe because I wasn't his guy. You know, I just kind of walked in. I'm just some Filipino that kind of came in and bushy tailed and wanted to, wanted to be on the team. And uh, I don't know, man. He was just extra hard on me. Maybe because I was Matt's friend. I know <laughs> Matt Gibson gave him a, a headache Matt. in more ways yeah. than one. Yeah. So maybe he just by association, you know, he gave me a hard time just because I was with Matt uh, during his whole career. Um, and to be clear, but, you you sold yourself to the program right after your, your Air Force days. Like, you, you put yourself yeah. out there for Hawaii, right? Yeah, I just put myself out there and told him, hey, this is where I came from. I played a little bit here at Air Force. Just need a change of scenery. Would you be willing to just take a look at me? I'm not even asking for anything. Just take a look at me. That's all I want. And that's really how it started. And you had gone to an NCAA tournament, right? Correct me if I'm wrong at, at Air yeah. Force your first year. Yeah. Yeah. We played against North Carolina when they had Sean McCants and Sean May and Raymond Felton, the team that ended up winning. So was it competitive? Did you guys stick in that one? I, I can't Dude, remember that game. It was competitive, man. It was competitive. We were, it was a low scoring game. That's what Princeton offenses do. Like I think mm -hmm. whereas the game was like in the fifties, but, dude, we were up like six with maybe 
I want to say six, seven minutes to go in the in the game, and I mean we were doing okay. It's just at the end they just made they made more buckets. They hit big shots. Felton took over, didn't stop him. But it's yeah, we 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 got some respect from that game. All right. Well, and then two years later, you're out there in a Riley Walls practice getting getting your uh <laughs> busting my ass yeah. just yelling at me for nothing man random things it was crazy well but again mind you i just came from this military school so yeah i i was mr positive i did not care about anything like coach yelling at me that's nothing that was yeah you must have been young. used to getting yelled at dude i was going through military school like nothing can ruin my day that first year in hawaii like nothing could ruin my day. Bus rides, working at the mall, coach on my ass, nothing. Like this shit was easy compared to my experience at Air Force at the time. Well, Bob Nash was there the entire time alongside yep. Riley Wallace, his right-hand man who got to inherit the program Yep. for your final year. And what did uh, that transition kind of feel like at the time? And, and now how do you think about it in retrospect? being a part of, you know, Coach Nash's – he was yeah. coached for three years and you were there for the first one. Yeah. Um, it's funny, man. Uh, Coach Nash, he had his jersey retirement, you know, before yeah. this COVID hit. Sure. And I got to be – I got to go there and, and be a part of it. And the first thing, man, when I got to see him, because I hadn't got to see him in years. He went to Japan with Bobby. He did his coaching mm -hmm. thing over there. Um, anyway, so fast – Fast track back to his to his jersey retirement. At first, right when I first saw him, I just hugged him, congratulated him, I thanked him for my career. You know, I just could not thank him enough because if it w really wasn't for him and Coach Gannat, I'll get to him in a second. <laughs> All right. Uh, if it wasn't for this guy giving me the opportunity to play, I don't know where my career would have been. I, I really don't know to be honest. So. It really was – if it wasn't for him putting me out there and trusting me and, you know, gaining confidence and self-esteem about myself that, hey, man, I could, I could, I could play, man. He's, he's putting trust in me. He's letting me play. and um, I don't think I would be here where I'm at today. And, yeah, from the season opener, I think that year in 2007, you were basically starting. I think Little Matt was out hurt at the start of the season. Um, yeah. And it just you it were just thrust thrust into the into the limelight and um I got lucky, man. I hit a bit, couple big shots my first starting game. I was hitting shots and uh, just kind of just rolled rolled with that first game that I played well in right off the bat. Just good timing. That's you know, it's a rare kind of move up that you know, upward trajectory that you got to experience in, in in a singular college career not a lot of guys go from the scout team energy guy to a right. first five you know regular yeah. minutes crunch time yeah. role and yeah did you it's realize that crazy. at the time or is it kind of no. something yeah it, it wasn't in, i didn't think about it much man i got i got so into my own head when i got to the philippines here because they you know you make it here in the Philippines and everything's just all flash and glam and fame and cameras and they just boost you up and talk you like, JD, you're the second pick of the draft. You, you came from a division one school. 
you're the man, JD. Just put all this stuff in your head. And I got to reflect sometimes and just think like, dude, that was a walk-on. And I didn't really play until I was a senior. This shit's crazy. <laughs> um, so to, when I when I visited Coach Nash's retirement, I ran into Coach Ron Gannat, right? Mm -hmm. And he was telling me, like, JD, we tell your story all the time around here. And just, hey, the guys want to meet you. They want to shake your hand. And they, they all know who you are. I talk about you all the, all the time to these fellas. And I was just kind of like, for real, Coach? <laughs> you got Della Dova, Patty Mills, Omar Sanham, like all these dudes. And you're talking about me? <laughs> this is crazy. Um, it's sometimes I don't believe it from where I started my journey to where I am now. It's definitely, I'm, I'm lucky, man. I'm very lucky. That's cool. And I got to ask, you know, the, some of those teams you played on, you are a, like a six, five wing player, Jared. Yeah. And the guys you played alongside guys like Matt Lejeski, little Matt Gibson, yeah. Bobby Nash, yeah. Riley Luke Garot, you guys yeah. are all kind of like the prototypical six, five, six, six, wing player that can shoot and switch positions if necessary. And you got to play alongside all those guys. Like, yeah. and you could all shoot the three ball pretty well. Like that is, you know, kind of like normal positionless basketball now, like at least it's, like what a lot of teams is. strive for. Were you guys like a little ahead of your time? Did you, you feel like now? Man, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. <laughs> a bunch of cocky kids, everyone, you know, Gibson's trying to be the superstar. Bobby's doing his thing. Lejeski clearly is doing his thing. Like, just that guy was an anomaly, to to say the least. Um, so, so, I mean, it's we didn't really talk about it too much. We were just all gunslingers. Just think about it now. Like, mm -hmm. So, it's just crazy when you called it out like that. Like, it was a bunch of tall, yeah, wingmen who could all shoot pretty much. I wish we took advantage of that a little bit more. Right. I mean, you guys didn't have the biggest team success. The, that's did, fair to point yeah. out. Um, yeah, but I mean, you look at rosters these days, I think a lot of teams would kill to have a bunch of like flexible guys like that, that can shoot because that's, you know, that, that's the way basketball is gone. And that's how it is these days. Now everyone can shoot. It seems like, right. Yeah. And yeah. you know, college rosters are not always dotted necessarily, at least at the, the mid major level more specifically with that kind of length and shooting ability, which is, you know, that, that's something that I know that this team in, in Hawaii under Coach Gannat strives for that shooting and spacing. And guys with size who can do that are not a dime a dozen. So it's interesting to me that you guys had that, you know, collection right. of guys like that. And for whatever reason, yeah. yeah. It's crazy, man. Crazy how the style changes over each Absolutely. generation or each decade. Yeah, for real. Uh, what, what, did, <laughs> what stood out to you about, you know, about that era? In, in college hoops or in your life just as far as the, the on the court style at the time yeah, yeah well at that time it, having a stretch four wasn't that wasn't a big thing mm -hmm. back then that that i could really remember not everyone can shoot it was more man i remember our squad i mean we when we still had steven viewers and Ahmet Gee, we were huge we were huge mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we had a couple seven footers lejeski's a three he's like a Six seven, right? Julian Sensley was there. I forgot about him. He was a big dude. Um, yeah, the style was different, man. It was just more inside than outside that, that I can remember. At least compared to these days, man. Everyone's gunslinging threes these days. Yeah. 
Look so, at the NBA playoffs. Look at the Rockets. Dude, yeah, right? Like, who had ever thought, like, just shooting two steps in from the half court is a thing? Like, that's that's a thing now. Like, people do that. Like, before you do that 10 years ago, you're you're coming out. <laughs> you're, you're coming to the You're hitting the pine. You don't care who, how good of a shooter you are. If someone 10 years ago starts launching threes from half court, <laughs> they're coming to the bench. Well, Jared, I want, I want to hear a little more, you know, about basketball life in the Philippines because you've been there so sure. long. You've had this longevity that without knowing the, the league there intimately, I have to imagine is, is pretty rare. I can't imagine there's a ton of guys who have stuck as long as you have. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, You'd be surprised, yeah. You'd yeah, be surprised. there are there's oh, several. There, there are guys, yeah. There are guys playing onwards onto their 17th year, 18th wow. year. So they, there are some, there are some guys out there still, still hoping. Um, lifers, lifers, yeah, man. I mean, I essentially it's guys who are tall. So I, you don't see too many small fellas having really long careers just because they're a dime a dozen out here. Um, Christian Stan but, Hardiger, you, do you run into that guy? I, yep, handful of times. Uh, he's a character to say the least. <laughs> he went guy. number one in the PBA draft, what in like 2017 or something after spending uh-huh. some time in Europe. Yep, yep. He comes back. He's a killer. He's, I mean, he's one of the most unorthodox players you'll see, but he gets it done. He gets it done, man. Like, um, yeah. Can't knock it, dude. Hard works hard. He just won like best conference, best player of the conference. Uh, Is that right? Last season. Yep. Oh, good for him. Just won it. Didn't know that, man. That that's awesome. Yeah, uh, dude. Dude is a beast. Racking in all the all the awards. He's on the national team pool. He's he's doing his thing. Uh, okay, you gotta you gotta share with me now, like some of uh, if one stands out, like one of the craziest moments. Basketball related, if you if you choose or otherwise, you know, okay. during your tenure oh, in the Philippines, like Dude, I got what? stories for days. All right, let's hear it. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, okay. Um, all right, I'm on the national team, and we're be, we're going to begin our training camp, and we're going to do it in Miami. Okay. Okay, that's where we're going to start our training camp. It's going to be in Miami because our naturalized import is Andre Blatch. I thought now, you might time, have overlapped with him. So, yeah, so he's there. He's a character, but we got him. He's on our squad. He suggested to have training camp in Miami. So, of course, by all means, we want to accommodate our new guy. Right. So we get into Miami. We're getting set up. Place is amazing. Training, look, Miami, South Beach. It is is amazing. So this full Andre is showing up to practice in four-wheelers, phantoms, Maseratis every day it was something new, and he's an active and, NBA player at the time, right? He was with the, with yeah, the Wizards, he, maybe or something. He was with the Wizards, Brooklyn. I, maybe it was just Brooklyn he was coming from. Okay, okay, okay. So clearly, yeah, NBA skill. Yeah, it's uh, another breed. You know, he's 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 got that NBA skill level. Um, so we get our work in and do what we got to do. But when it was time to have fun, he'd be like, "Hey guys, we're going out. I got I got y'all." Let's go. So we go out, Filipino team, bunch of Filipinos waiting in line, the premier club in Miami. We get in, we're having a good time, and we 
we're at our seats. Before you know it, we're kind of looking around like, hey, that's Jamie Foxx. Hey, what's up, man? I'm Jared. Nice to meet you. Oh, Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne, what's up, dude? I'm, yeah, I'm from the Philippines, man. This, uh, yeah, with the whole team. That's crazy. Oh, two chains? <laughs> two chains. What's wow. up, man? So we're right in the middle of this, all these celebrities and actors and a gang of other NBA players that are just there. And here's little old Philippine national team hanging with all these dudes. And mind you, this is just week one of our Miami training experience. Um, so we're just taking everything as, as it comes along. You know, the next night we're hanging out with Greg Oden in some other club hanging out with that dude and him telling us stories of his NBA journey and just that whole vibes that Andre like just put us around was dude it was it was nuts so I mean it was a great start off of training to get ready for the World Cup starting in Miami how'd you guys fare in the in the World Cup yeah, like after that Miami training, did it did it adequately prepare you guys? Yeah, it did. I mean, granted, we we still went around Europe and we played against some other teams, but again, you know, we we're having Andre Blatch showing us around the country. Or, uh -huh. I mean, there's there's another story where um, we're with uh, we're with this other import that's on our team as a backup. His name is Demarcus Marcus Dowhead. Played at Providence, playing the NBA with Kobe for a little bit. Um, but uh, dude, we're we're in Cannes, France, at some billionaire's yacht, hanging out inside this yacht. Don't know where we're at. Don't know what we're doing. Guys, the the yacht owners trying to tell us like, hey, we're gonna sail the Mediterranean for the next two weeks. You guys please come with us. <laughs> We're just kind of like, man, we got this world cup in a bit. We, we'd love to come with you though, but uh, we're going to have to take a pass. Um, just a whole nother world, man. For real. Like, the Andre Blatch life. The Andre Blatch life. Yep. In a nutshell. How about Jared, just back in the Philippines, you know, yeah. you, you, like you described, I mean, you weren't a superstar during your peak by any means, but, a well-known guy on some teams that won PBA championships. I want to say you're, you were a member yeah. of six title teams at this point. Um, six title teams. That, like, don't get me wrong. Like, yeah, I did my thing. I got a PBA all-star MVP. I got a yeah. couple MVPs and crap like that every now and then. But uh, in terms of superstar mega status, I never, I never got there. Sure. Um, but you but, must have uh, been a guy who was, you know, recognized everywhere and, yeah, yeah, I was, I mean, again, like, for the, the the viewers that don't know, it's just Philippine basketball, it's it's crazy. Um, the There there was a finals that I was playing in where we broke the record for attendance, where there were 60,000 people watching the game at the arena. Mm -hmm. It's like, a, that's like an American football game. It, it's Yeah, where do they hold it, that? So they have, they have a, a handful of arenas here. And there's this one arena called the Philippine Sports Arena where it can hold like... It's like a soccer stadium? Yeah, it's, I think it's a, it's a multi-use stadium. So they use it for a, a lot of things, a lot of events. And the, back then, the, the other arenas just could not fit all the fans because this, it was such a good series that we were playing in that they had to move it into this other one. And 
wow. was filling up crazy amounts of people. Um, so yeah, people love basketball here, man. It's it's nuts. You'd be you'd be so shocked thinking if Philippine basketball is popular, given our stature or our culture, but it's it's crazy out here. Did uh, you like you mentioned? I think to start the podcast, your your mom I think is Filipino, right? And yeah, mom's you know, Filipino. That obviously was part of the reason you ended up playing pro ball in the Philippines, right? Like, what's kind of the rule? Is there like a hard and fast yeah. rule about? Do you have to be part Filipino for a lot of the, the guys on the teams, or how does that work? Yeah, so uh, you do have to have some Filipino lineage, like similar to how Kamehameha, Kamehameha, uh, Kamehameha, Kamehameha High School is, where yeah. you got to have that Hawaiian blood in you, right? Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. So same thing with this league, got to have Filipino blood in you, um, and you got to show all the proper paperwork and, and whatnot from like a Philippine embassy. Um, they're really strict on it. Wow. <laughs> it's, there are no people who are fake around here. They take that to heart. Um, there are a couple fake Filipinos that tried to play in this league in the nineties. It just really big crapshoot, big shit hit the fan, um, left a lot of bad taste in people's mouths about what and who Philams are about. So it took a while for people to be okay with Philams, so to speak, back then because of that big, uh, fake, uh, people coming in. Is that Filipino Americans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a big influx apparently in the '90s of people trying to play in this league here, and they weren't mm-hmm. Filipinos, <laughs> so uh, they had to they had to make it a little bit more strict. Interesting. Wow. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay, but like it, it worked. It worked out in your case, man. And dude, that's, yeah, so lucky I'm Filipino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was that ever even like a thought to you growing up? You know, you, you grew up in Colorado, yeah. like we talked about. I mean, you, you did star on your high school basketball team. Yeah. Um, no, to be honest. I mean, back then, I mean, you can attest to this, Brian. Like, there was no internet in the 90s or early 2000s, at least the globalization, which it is today. Like, I couldn't even look up in that much information about the PBA. When I was in Hawaii, when I was mm-hmm. random scouts and coaches coming to the practice and offering me this and that to play in the Philippines. I couldn't go to my computer and type up anything. I had to look at newspaper clippings and uh, that, that people would show me. I, other than that, there really wasn't much out there. It was really just putting my face in the wind and just going with it and just like, yeah, yeah I mean, where else am I going to play? Europe? Do a Matt Gibson career? Go start D2? Play in Finland for a year? Yeah, I don't know. Like, so I just got lucky with the timing of, of all this. What would you say was the, any moment that stands out in your mind is when you were among fans or like signing autographs or something, or like, you know, cameras spotted you like, when did it hit me? Yeah. What, what was that moment? Um, first got there. Uh, it didn't hit me until I was at the draft the actual PBA draft Mm -hmm. Um, maybe a month or two before that draft I'm on this amateur league farm team and they're just having me play like 30 amateur games because back then Brian that was the rule before you can apply for this PBA draft you have to have a certain amount of games amateurly under your belt okay so like 
had to play 30 games in a span of like two months. It was nuts. And um, I didn't get to feel the whole popularity because I'm on this amateur team and we're just going around playing in these crapshoot gyms. I'm like second guessing my whole like <laughs> doing out here. Like they're having us cramped up like five or six guys into a hotel room. Like, mind you, this is not a first world country. You're playing in these crazy hot gyms, no AC, just packed, sweaty, court slippery, not really knowing what, like, did I make the right decision coming here? So uh, fast track to the PBA draft, and it feels like the NBA draft. You know, tons of cameras, tons of people chanting, like, if whatever pick that comes out, you're here boos or cheers, depending if, the, if they know that player or not. And communist, uh, not communist, but uh, commentators <laughs> talking about each pick. <laughs> they could be communists. I mean, you never know. They could be, man. It's getting weird these days. <laughs> um, so that whole thing, yeah, they're breaking down each draft pick. So that moment, I was just looking around like, dude, okay, this is legit over here. Like, man, this is crazy. Like, I can't believe it's like this out here. And from that point, the moment I got picked, it was a huge roller coaster from the moment I got picked. We're, I'm immediately on the national team. Our first training camp is in Europe, in, in Milan, Italy. So we're going over there just to do training camp. And it was just this whole, like, wow, this shit, I, I'm a pro. Like, this is crazy. And not only are you a pro, you're on, like you said, on the national team. I mean, is that a surprise to you? Like, that it was, yeah. like, a given yeah, like that I mean, almost? Well, I mean, at least back then, the if you came from the States and you had some sort of D1 pedigree, you were ahead of the game, so to speak, because okay. um, okay. the training wasn't what it was in the Philippines as it is today. So the kids now, these days in the Philippines, they are right there with the kids in the U.S. in terms of training, uh, their skill level, these kids can hoop. But back then, it, it was a little bit different. So mm -hmm. um, since I had this pedigree that I played Division One, oh, hey, I started. Um, that, that gave me enough on a resume to have these coaches give me a shot to put me on the national team. And I just played well at the right time um, for them to, to, to put me on the, on the squad right away. So I was, I was one of the few that was lucky to, to do something like that. Not many – dudes got to be put on the national team right away. And I have to imagine like you had some kind of social media profile, you know, during your time at, at UH, um, uh -huh. to, like those mid two thousands was probably what going from MySpace to just the MySpace. beginnings of Facebook. Friendster, <laughs> uh, my, yeah, MySpace for sure, but yeah. not Instagram. That's so much no, Twitter that did yet. not exist yeah. yet. No, yeah. And Twitter like thing. was in its infancy and, yeah. and then you, you get drafted, you're on the national team, you're, you're doing training out there, people are recognizing yeah. you, and you're, I remember this specifically because we've talked about this in the past, your social media following just explodes, right? You, you oh, yeah. get yeah. like up close to 100,000 followers it got like crazy overnight almost, right? It seemed like. Yeah, it, it was crazy. And because before Instagram, it was just Twitter. So uh, just just doing yeah, yeah just doing things on the national team in in the philippines yeah it became a thing and that yeah, blew up overnight type of vibes and that was 
at the time crazy. You kind of get used to it after a while, and then just have phases if you're on it or if you're not on it. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that was that was a crazy time when that happened. Um, you don't you kind of catch yourself sometimes not realizing like how much of a following you have sometimes because you're kind of in your own little world half the time. Jared, before I let you go, going back to Hawaii, <laughs> question yes, wise, sir. one more time. <laughs> Who was the the craziest guy you played with, and what did Little Matt Gibson do the most? You already, <laughs> so you know, it's a, you already know I'm going to say Little Matt, right? So the craziest person on the team that I played with, yeah, that's what you're yeah. asking. Yeah, so hands down, it's Little Matt. That dude, one of my best friends at the time. We got so close, but man, that dude's crazy, man. <laughs> he toned down a lot. I still tame stay in touch with him but that dude man he could I, I don't know how he was able to live the life he lived in college and still maintain his playing abilities like because he was a star of our team he he carried the team on his back he was the heart and soul wore his emotion on his sleeve didn't care he didn't care who he was playing we'd be playing the, the first team all-american guy and he would he, Lil Matt would be the first one to say, like, man, he's garbage. I'll give him 20 easily. <laughs> and that was, that was Matt, man. Uh, dude was fearless. Uh, I wish there's more stories I could t- talk about him, but I don't <laughs> think this is the proper channel to talk about Lil Matt. It comes with a filter. It, like it, yeah, it's understood when you talk about Lil Matt Gibson. There's a, there's a, uh, a parental control. It got to the point. Around. It got to the point, Brian, where the coaches were telling me because they knew that Matt had a, a fond for me, like he really liked me a lot. So I turned into this whole like uh, chauffeur, so to speak, like, hey, JD, you make sure you look after Matt, make sure he doesn't get in trouble too much, no fights or anything when, when you're out with this kid, you got to watch him. So, <laughs> so I was really like the watchdog for, for little Matt just to make sure nothing was going to happen to the guy. Um, I didn't know him personally, but uh, that's everything I, Great guy. I, I understood. Great guy, super loyal, a little bit misunderstood, but if you're his friend, he's a great friend to have, but man, he would put you through some of the, he'd put you in the worst situations, man. <laughs> <laughs> God. He, he, I mean, he enjoyed a pretty long pro career too. I know he stopped playing a, he, maybe a few years. No, he's still playing. He's still playing? No he's way. Playing. Yeah. He's still playing, man. If you look him up on Instagram, that's crazy. He's still, he's still hooping over there out in Finland. Finland now. Yeah. Wow. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to try to get him on sometime. I'm still, gonna, oh, I'm gonna yeah, have to sure. try. I know he's he's toned down tenfold since he's been been in college. Um, but yeah, man, I'm sure he's he's got some great stories he'd want to share with you. All right. Any? Uh, I'll give you the platform. Any? Any last oh. UH story that you can share that that comes right. to mind for you, man? Right. Right. Um. Jeez, man. UH stories with the fellas. Uh, put me on the spot, Brian. That's how we do. <laughs> I, right. Uh, dude. Uh, I'm trying to think. There's nothing that comes to mind. Uh, I'm trying to think. I, I remember one time right before the season started. I was. A, I'm a big skateboarder back then. Uh, I used to live out back at UH Noah, and I used to skateboard um, to and from school a lot. And they had really long roads in Manoa for the people that know 
UH Manoa. There's a lot of long stretches of streets back there. So I'm riding my board to school, just another normal day. Um, I'm going too fast, feeling too invincible. Cruising, I'm going through cross streets, not thinking too much about it. Big car comes rolling in. I have to swerve out of the way. Can't stop myself because I'm clearly going too fast. Fly off this skateboard into someone's yard, just killing road rash all over my nipples, my knees, <laughs> my forearms, my shoulder. Everything is as raw as it could get, right? First person I call is Coach, uh, Coach Nash just to let him know, like, cause I was so scared, like, dude, what's gonna, <laughs> I hope they don't take my scholarship away. I tell coach Nash, coach, um, I'm in someone's yard. I got an accident. It's just a skateboard accident, but I, I'm, I'm pretty messed up coach. And he's like, JD, God damn it. Get, get your butt over here right now. <laughs> he's just screaming at me. Uh, so an ambulance is there already. I take an ambulance. Just, I tell him just to take me to school because coach is mad and I get checked up. I just got a bunch of like nasty burns on me. Uh, long story short, um, I'm single at the time. So the, the women's volleyball team, they had a house that they lived in. They offered to take care of me. So I got to live with the volleyball team for like, like two weeks. Well, I just got to sleep on their couch and they all got, you know, they babied me to the fullest where they're just bringing food to me, cleaning, help cleaning my wounds. You know, I was living in paradise. It was tight. <laughs> this sounds like Monty Python and the Holy Grail, a certain scene that comes to mind. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but if not, we'll just keep, keep it right going. Oh, dude, dang it. I'm sorry. I didn't. Uh, no, it's, it's fine. If, if anyone out there is. <laughs> has seen Monty Python. No. That's what it sounds oh, like. It was the worst, best situation I ever got to put myself into. Just having all of these women cater to my injuries for two weeks while, while posted up in their house. But uh, that's probably one of the only stories I can think of off the top of my head. That, that is a fortuitous turn of events after uh, that kind of could have gone south. And that hey, was, I was scared. I did I not scared. anticipate that twist right there. Yeah, right. <laughs> took you down one road, took you down another <laughs> one. <laughs> I'm glad that worked out for you, man. Thanks, man. Uh, but, hey, yeah. Jared Dillinger, thanks so much for making some time on the Court Sense podcast, hey. man. It was an honor to hear your stories, and best of luck in this upcoming PBA season. Hopefully they can get it off the ground. Thank thanks, buddy. Appreciate the time. I'm honored to be here just to share some OG stories. Hopefully some UH fans out there got to hear and got some good knowledge from me. So <laughs> Appreciate it for having me.